Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are in this Traveling with Our Ancestors sermon series. Woo! It is spicy. It is hot. It is flavorful. It is zesty. It's great. I am such a fan of this sermon series. And one of the, uh, for those of you who haven't been uh, following along, we have a devotional every day offered by um, Shonda Rani Ja. Shonda is a practitioner out of California who's part of the Disciples of Christ denomination. Very grateful for this devotional book that she's put together. And uh, for those of you who haven't been uh, uh, following along with the devotionals, the way that it goes is like every day we have a little mini bio of like a sassy Christian throughout history who has done social justice things or something cool. And then there's always these um, very um, potent reflection questions. She always asks these journaling questions that always kind of like hit me right in the gut. And so today's journaling question, if you were following along the devotional, today's journaling question was, how might you treat every child like the Christ child? I'm like... I don't know. know. And that's why we do this devotional, because uh, sometimes there there are important things that we need to reflect on that our initial response is, I don't know. (laughs) And that might be one of the reasons why, by the way, that we are trying to focus on connecting with our ancestors in the first place. New City did a a survey where we identified spiritual growth areas, and one of the uh, key themes that we found was people wanted to be able to connect with their ancestors, connect with their ancestors. And so we are trying to, in this sermon series, connect people to their spiritual ancestors, because sometimes when you have those moments that's like, I don't know, it's helpful to look back across time and know that there are people who have gone before us who have felt that exact same way, and we can learn from the stories of how they engage with these things. Our ancestors, like, for better or for worse, have, have faced great challenges, and we can learn from them. And so this whole sermon series was about getting you just on, like, a first date with a bunch of ancestors, and then we're hoping that uh, through your own exploration and your own prayer life, you'll be able to go deeper in. Of course, for our sermon series challenge, thank you to people who um, submitted for our sermon series challenge, we printed out fabulous uh, photos and quotes, that's these tables over here, quotes and photos from uh, people who are spiritual ancestors to people in New City Church, meaning people who have impacted how we approach faith, how we understand the Bible, how we understand Jesus, how we try to work on social justice. All of these incredible ancestors are um, on this table, and I think it's a beautiful representation because we carry these people with us. Our ancestors are the people that we carry into the room with us, and, um, and hopefully we're a little bit wiser because of it. And so, if we're going to be looking at uh, this Christmas story, if we're going to be looking at Jesus, I think that it's only fitting in this sermon series that instead of um, 
just starting right with Jesus as if he happened acontextually, as if he was born just out of thin air with no history or context, that we actually look at the ancestry of Jesus. And the reading that we had today was from this guy named Zechariah, who was um, commenting on how the ancestry of Jesus was coming to fruition in this moment of Christ being born. And so we begin with Sarah. Sarah uh, was like way, way, like way long ago, known as being um, the mother of the nations. Uh, Without Sarah, there would be no Jesus. And without Sarah, there wouldn't be a lot of things, actually. Like from Sarah, there came the conversations that the entire Judeo- Christian tradition sprung from. And uh, and Sarah also had a little run out with Hagar, which kind of started <laughs> Islam. And so if we're looking at the three like major Abrahamic religions, these a lot of times go right back to Sarah and her husband Abraham. And interestingly about Sarah, um, the most important things that happened in Sarah's entire life happened when she was 90 years old. It was at the very end of her life that like some really important things happened. And I think that's so important because, you know, I don't know about uh, folks who are joining in right now, but I just know that New City has a lot of people who want the world to be a better place, who are just starting their careers or striving into this, who are answering big questions. How am I going to make this? How uh, am I supposed to be keeping up with folks? Like this isn't my, my reality isn't what I dreamed of. Is this what it's supposed to be like? And there's so much pressure to get uh, married, uh, household, pet ownership uh, by like 30. And it's like, there's so, there's just this like sprint to the top vibe. And I think that it's worth naming that uh, uh, we don't have any records of what Sarah's 30s were like. It didn't really matter what she accomplished in her 20s. I mean, it mattered in that she did. She was like, you know, every move that we make eventually leads up to who we are. And she did uh, hook up with this guy named Abraham who ended up, that ended up going well. But um, like the most notable part of Sarah's life was when she was 90. And so like, if you're just feeling some pressure to achieve or strive or get to a certain place by a certain time, or if you're looking around and you're like, man, it seems like a lot of people are a lot further ahead than me, just know that something amazing might happen when you're 90, and that could be something that changes the rest of history, that changes the entire world. And that was the case for Sarah. Um, So, uh, yeah, so where am I? In... uh, Way, way back in the story, as it, as it goes, uh, Sarah was married to Abram. Uh, he, w- he was 100 years old at the time. And God appeared to Abram and was like, hey, Abram, I'm God. Okay, two things on the agenda. One, you're going to get a new name. Instead of Abram, we're going Abraham. Because Abraham means father of multitudes and ancestor of multitudes. And spoiler alert, even though you don't have kids now, and even though you're 100 years old and your wife is 90 years old, you're going to have a kid. Congratulations on being a father. Bloop! And then God (laughs) disappeared. And Abraham was like, okay, point one, love the new name. Uh, I... I'm all about a rebrand, like great new names, cool. Um, quick logistic question <laughs> on the second part. Um, and then Abraham 
said the same thing that I thought to myself as my upstairs neighbor was having a party until 2 a.m. when I thought to myself, I am too old for this. <laughs> and Abraham said to God, like, I think I'm too old for this. He said, um, he fell on his face and laughed. He said to himself, can a hundred-year-old man become a father or Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, have a child? But God said, your wife, Sarah, will give birth to a son for you, and you will name him Isaac. And I will set up my covenant. Covenant is an important word that I will reference later. Covenant with him and with his descendants after him as an enduring covenant. That was God's promise to Abraham. And Sarah overheard all this and was like, I don't know. <laughs> but eventually she did give birth to Isaac, and which Isaac literally means to laugh because of how much his parents laughed at the possibility of him being alive. And, uh, and I imagine, you know, these young, uh, these, I should say, new parents, not young at all, new parents um, stepping outside and, and like cradling Isaac in their arms and, and there being these stars above and, and God saying, look at these stars, your offspring will number as numerously as the stars above you. And them just being in awe of that. And then looking down and, and seeing sand underneath their sandals. And God saying, look at these grains of sand. Your descendants will be more numerous than the grains of sand in this desert. That is my promise to you, Abraham. And, and uh, Sarah was cradling this baby, looking up at the stars, looking down, and, and realizing that she just gave birth to a king to an ancestor of nations. She looked over at Abraham and she's like, so you're not going to do anything weird, right? Like pretend to sacrifice him or anything? And he was like, no, maybe. And from that point on, God became a God who makes promises. God, in the, throughout the Bible, became known as the promise making God. God promised Noah that he wouldn't destroy the world, and so he sent a rainbow into the sky. God promised Moses that, uh, that Moses's people would be free, and, and so he, uh, and that was like that whole burning bush thing. God promised David that from his lineage, uh, a, a savior would arise. This was God just like sending out a lot of promises. God wanted to assure God's people that there's a new thing coming. And which that was an important characteristic of God because sometimes it's not so obvious that God is doing anything about the mess that the world is in. Sometimes when we look at our own lives or look at the news or look at the streets, we see a very different picture from what God is promising and it's hard to believe that God really is a promise maker. Sometimes it feels like um, uh, we're, we're in lineage with those people who, um, after Abraham, generations, generations afterwards, there was this thing called the exile, which is when, like, all the Jewish folks were, like, forcibly extracted from their land and put into another place. And uh, all of the literature that comes from that, point, from that era is folks being like, hey, God, are you still a promise maker? Like, God, are you still a promise keeper? Because um, I'm looking around, and it feels like we're at war 
war and Abraham's descendants, the very people that you promised would be more numerous than the stars and the sands, are all dying. And it feels like you're far away from us, God. So what's the deal? And that's an important ancestor to remember as well, because sometimes in our own lives, we feel like we are in a battle. And sometimes in our own lives, we feel like we're not winning. And so it's important to remember that there are folks who have gone before us, thousands, millions, an innumerable number of folks in this parade trying to make sense of what it means to worship a God who makes promises while still living a life that feels embattled. And we remember this now of all years on on Christmas uh, after, what are we on, month twenty four of COVID. (laughs) It's like the Land Before Time series where like there's so many sequels that it's like who even knows about anything anymore. We're we're like into (laughs) we're into COVID and um and we and of course like as we're looking at the news, as we're figuring out what's going on, for those of you who aren't uh, as close to the Twin Cities scene, Kim Potter was found guilty uh just yesterday. Um, and that was something that we've been praying about as a community. Kim Potter, Potter is a, uh, a white former officer who shot a black man, and Dante Wright. And, um, and of course, we're looking at this, and similar to the Chauvin conviction, it's like, at most, this is a half win. Because, of course, I'm glad that the the um that it wasn't not guilty like i'm glad that after uh someone murders another person that that person isn't found guilty but it's like the best that our system can offer is punishment and if we really care about transformation of the world if we're really going to follow a christ who says i will make all things new then somehow we need to imagine a new system (laughs) that doesn't just offer punishment but offers a, a pathway towards transformation. And it's so hard to imagine what that looks like when there's so much money invested in the carceral system. Okay, now I'm getting beside myself. Uh, so, uh, but the point is that, uh, that, yeah, sometimes we are looking at our lives and we feel like we are um, unsure of what's going to happen. And we remember through this reading of scripture that, that um, people were in that same boat And sometimes it is helpful to read because we can not only look at people who are suffering just like we are suffering, but people who write on the other side of that suffering. Because eventually the exile did end and people came back. And what was one of the first things that people did once these traumatized, deeply brutalized group of people came back to land? They built a temple so that they could worship God. They built a temple right away. And this is important because a lot of times there's kind of this thing that's like, I'll go to worship once my life is perfect. (laughs) Or I'll go to worship once I feel like I'm on top of my stuff. Or I'll go to worship once my community is healed. And our ancestral witness is like, actually, you don't wait for your life to be perfect to worship. Like you worship to be part of the healing, like worship and gathering as a community is part of the ways that we translate into a new world. Worship isn't like the end goal. Worship is like part of the process. And the reason why we worship 
like our ancestors is because, not because we're fully satisfied in everything that's going on, but we're satisfied that God is a faithful God who will continue to show up again and again. And it was after this temple that God built uh, in this like exilic, post-exilic period that the name Zechariah became very popular as a boy's name. A lot of people who were giving birth started naming their sons Zechariah because Zechariah means God remembers. And these people who were like so brutalized and so harmed and displaced and extracted from land started naming their kids that God remembers, almost as if as a mnemonic device to be like, I'm going to remember that God is a God remembers, that God, who, the same God who made promises thousands of years ago is still keeping an eye out for us, even after we've experienced so much. And my child, Zechariah, will be proof of that. So fast forward to... Uh, 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 later on in the Bible, and we meet uh, Zechariah. By the way, there are 32 Zacharias in the Bible uh, uh, because of his popular name. And one of the Zacharias was a Jewish priest contemporaneous in Jesus's time. And uh, one day he went to that same temple, and his job was to offer up incense to God. So you can kind of imagine going into this sacred space and your job being to, to offer up smoke <laughs> so that our prayers could be carried to heaven. And in a heavenly flash, an angel appeared to Zechariah and said, hey, Zechariah, it's me, Gabriel. And Zechariah was like, okay, not how I pictured it, but keep going. And Gabriel was like, okay, Zachariah, listen up. <laughs> so uh, you're going to have a kid, and he's not going to be a savior, but he's going to, like, get people ready for the savior. And Zachariah responded with the same response that is encoded in his DNA. He said, how will I know this uh, how can I be sure? Because my wife and I are very old. And Gabriel said, honey, okay, so like you're a couple seasons behind because God was facing this exact same situation and God like figured it out. So I need you to figure it out and just like reflect a little bit that you're not trusting God, even though you're supposed to be the religious official, <laughs> okay? And um, also, I'm going to take away your voice so we can't talk until you have a kid. And then, like, Gabriel, <laughs> like, disappeared. And, uh, and that was Zachariah wrestling with this. And, and something really interesting happened right before Zachariah's child did come, because Zachariah didn't, ha uh, didn't have a voice. Elizabeth met up with her relative Mary. Elizabeth is Zachariah's wife. So one, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist who was going to make a way for Jesus. And then Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And the scripture says that when these two women stepped into the same room, Elizabeth's womb jumped inside of her. 
Because sometimes it's not just about hearing words from God. Sometimes it's not just the, the stories and intellectually grasping God, even though that's valuable. Sometimes you have to look at your gut. Sometimes your body knows about God. Sometimes there is like a message encoded within your flesh that God is relying on you to listen to. Imagine if Elizabeth didn't listen to her womb when she stepped into, a mar- into that room with Mary. And so similarly, we at New City Church talk about embodiment, talk about incarnation, not just because it's an interesting pathway towards healing from trauma, which is valuable, but because it is one of the ways that we encounter God. It's one of the ways that Jesus speaks to us and enters our world again and again, is to listen to our body. And so Elizabeth listened to her body and said, wow, Something is about to change. And, uh, and, Ma- and Mary wrote a song called the Magnificat. We talked about it last week. By the way, if you ever want to watch our sermons from previous weeks, there's an archive on our page. So Mary uh, wrote a Magnificat. Zechariah, um, shortly after he regained his voice after John the Baptist was born, wrote a song himself. And that song uh, we later call the Benedictus, the Benedictus. And what I love about Zechariah's song and the sermon series that we're in right now is that Zechariah gets it right about ancestors. In the Benedictus, he says, God has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and remembered her holy covenant, the solemn pledge she made to our ancestor Abraham. Okay, folks. <laughs> Do you like, like just, just as, just to be clear, like Zechariah was alive like between five hundred and a thousand years after Abraham was alive. So for a thousand years. This story was passed on of Abraham saying like, hey, God promised me something. And that got passed down generation by generation until a thousand years later, Zechariah could look at this and be like, this is the fulfillment of the promise. This is the, the hope of God's dreams for the world. This is what uh, God was talking about that day that he talked to Abraham. Can you imagine being a part of a people, a movement of a people who are not expecting these dreams all to come uh, true in an instant gratification culture kind of way, but to say that we are inheritors of our ancestors' dreams, and some of them might be coming true even a thousand years later, but some of them might be like, for some of these, we might be the middle link For some of these, we might be in the game of telephone that's like, I'm receiving the promise to pass on to the next generation the deepest hopes of God that I understand in my life, not because I'm going to see it in my lifetime, but because God is promising eternal life, and eventually all of us will see it at the end of time. Like, this is what it means to be a person of faith, is not just to have this, like, God is going to, like, make me, like, an entrepreneur by 32. Like, the, the whole point is, like you might be called to be an entrepreneur by 32, but that we are part of something way bigger than any of our individual lives, that we're part of a lineage of people who come way before us for us wondering if their dreams will come true in your life today. 
And so we read scripture and we learn about the past 2,000 years of Christians because we as a movement of people believe that God's dreams are still coming true now. And more importantly, we believe that uh, um, there is a dream that will come true in the next 1,000 years. To use a line from Adrienne Marie Brown, we are not only descendants from our ancestors, but we are ancestors in training. We are people who are trying to live a life so that the thing that is inherited for the next generation after generation, for the next thousand years, might be a little bit more like God's dream than it would have been otherwise. Because imagine what would have happened to Zechariah if those folks hadn't built that temple for him to hear this. Imagine if he didn't have the tradition of lighting incense that was carried on from generations to generations. Like, imagine if he um, believed that he could pull himself up by the spiritual bootstraps instead of being part of a movement of people. And I want to be careful here because, of course, whenever we hear the word tradition, a lot of times folks at New City think of homophobia. And, like, a traditional Christianity means a homophobic Christianity or a racist Christianity or a misogynist Christianity. And I think that's, um, uh, uh, that brings to the forefront how every time that we talk about our ancestors, we are always doing a little bit of a partner dance because there are some things that we receive from our ancestors and there are some things that we set down from our ancestors. There are some things that were blessings, moments from God, dreams from God that we carry on with dignity and honor. And there are some things from previous generations that are not of the life-giving abundant God and need to be set down. Every time that we uh, remember that Jesus was born under a star, we remember that the universe was built with the witness of love geared into it. And if that is true, then your life is also designed, coded, uh, knit together with liberating love at its core. May this be true for us uh, in the on-site community, for the online community, and for all of 2022. Amen? Amen.